This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Talk. Unrivaled talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. As of yesterday, uh, warmed up by Kevin O'Sullivan. We're on every day now from 9.30. Don't miss it. Uh, it's an augmented breakfast show uh, where we give you all of the news that's fit to print and some of the news that isn't fit to print. Uh, right now, though, it's time for Common Sense and the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, one of the uh, greatest aspects of what can only be described as one of the great things here at Talk TV uh, because we've got three hours now to take your opinions, uh, to give you my opinion uh, and to take the opinions of many other people. We're kicking off this morning with Professor Frank Ferreira. We've not spoken to him for a while. Author and sociologist, of course. A man that speaks an awful lot of common sense about a great many things. And we will need to talk to him this morning about the gender agenda. Uh, because, of course, we've heard about children identifying as cats, identifying as horses, identifying as dinosaurs, even one of them identifying as the moon. Uh, today, we hear that the Bank of England says people of any gender can be pregnant. Really? Well, that's news to me, uh, and probably news to you as well. Also, we'll be talking about most high street banks now being signed up to Stonewall's diversity schemes, which is kind of what's leading to some people's bank accounts being shut down. Uh, the government have now said they're going to crack down, and the Treasury is going to crack down on banks having these ridiculous kind of ideological rules about who can and who cannot hold a bank account. Uh, they think, apparently, uh, a woman with a penis can become pregnant. Um, but if you say a woman can't have a penis, you can't have a bank account. How about that? 0344 499 1000. We'll be talking later about the ULES expansion scheme. Uh, there's a uh, hearing at the High Court today. We'll be going live down there to Oliver Whitfield Miacic. Also, we'll be talking to the leader of Harrow Council, who doesn't want to see the expansion going ahead uh, because many people believe, and some people in a lawsuit believe, uh, that Sadiq Khan has acted unlawfully. Laura Dodsworth is going to be here, of course, as well. We'll also talk about the mad, mad story about Captain. Tom. Captain Tom Moore, you might remember, raised an absolute fortune for the NHS. And it's the 75th anniversary of the NHS tomorrow. And so you'll be hearing an awful lot about the NHS on this show and on various other shows. Uh, but they raised millions and millions and millions of pounds. I think it was over £30 million they raised uh, for NHS charities. It now turns out uh, that Captain Tom Moore's daughter, a woman by the name of Hannah Ingram Moore, has been accused of using the lockdown fundraiser's name to build a spa and pool complex 
in her garden. Well, how knocked me over with a feather. An awful lot of people at the time said, this is unbelievable how much money they're making and it's all going to charity, is it? Apart from a few administration costs. Well, we'll get to that in a little while. Uh, Laura Dodsworth will talk as well about the COVID inquiry. She'll talk as well about what's been going on with Twitter over the last few days, which seems to have been going a little bit bonkers, it has to be said. Gavin Mortimer is going to be here. Also, Hugh Andre uh, is going to join us. Johnny Mercer was on with Julie Hartley Brewer this morning, the Veterans Minister, talking about some money uh, that's being given to homeless veterans to help them try and find housing. Operation Fortitude has been set up. There's going to be a helpline and there's going to be all sorts of things uh, being given to homeless veterans. Something we've been calling for here at the Independent Republic for a very, very long time indeed. Also, uh, one of my favourite stories of the day, it has to be said, um, people are getting thicker. It's true. People are getting stupider. IQs are going backwards. I've been saying this for years. We are actually evolving in reverse. You know it to be true. I might put that to Frank Ferrady this morning. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republic and Mike Graham on Talk TV. Let's get it on. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Just finding a very interesting text to kick us off. George says this, uh, just finished watching Mike and Kev. Excellent. It also helped the NHS celebrate 75 years. They've cancelled my next appointment at the end of August. Oh, yes, uh, that would be the one they cancelled before and rescheduled. Thanks a lot. Uh, it's a good thing I'm immortal. Well, at least so far. Well, that is the trouble, isn't it? Let us celebrate the NHS's 75th anniversary. Sajid Javid has already said this morning uh, that he wants to set up a royal commission to see why the outcomes, the medical outcomes in particular, in the NHS are so bad in this country when they're much better in almost every other Western European country. Uh, almost every other Western European country has a better system than we have. Uh, waiting times are nothing like what they are here. Cancer outcomes are much better. Generally speaking, people are treated uh, much quicker than they are here. The problem with the NHS is that it is broken. And in the words of Keir Starmer, the NHS broke it. It's that simple. Let's talk to Professor Frank Ferrady uh, and kick things off with him. Frank, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Um, I don't know whether you're identifying as anything other than a sociologist and professor this morning, Frank, but feel free. This is the place to do it. You can come out as anything you want. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit hesitant. I'm, I'm ambivalent about my identity today. Yes. All that I know is that I, I could have used some more sleep. <laughs> if I had more sleep, I would have identified maybe as not just as a sociologist, not just as a man, but as a really handsome, vibrant, charismatic individual. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I would disagree with any of that. And the great thing about gender identity now is you can change it every sort of hour or every day. You can be something different every single day if you want to be, right? That's right. And the, the trouble is, is that once people begin to preface their remarks by saying, I identify as, then the whole identity issue becomes so absorbing and so dominant in culture that people are encouraged, almost incited, uh, to be gender fluid and or identity fluid. And you have this really bizarre situation where the number of identities proliferate all the time. If you look back over the last 10 years, it's just been increasing and increasing and increasing. And it's not going to stop anytime soon. So uh, about four years ago, I gave a lecture uh, in the United States, and I made the point that once you begin to question uh, uh, gender and you begin to argue that men and, and the distinction between men and women is a false one and there are more genders than we imagine, then once that boundary goes, I argued it's only a matter of time 
before the distinction between humans and animals will also be called into question. Yeah. Increasingly, we find that this is the new frontier. So the issue in the last 10 years was gender and whether you're trans or you're binary or whatever. Now we're finally coming to the point at which we begin to dehumanize ourselves, animalize ourselves. Mm. Uh, many people are begin to think that they are they got some kind of animal identity, and at the same time, as we animalize human beings, we humanize animals. It's a really weird, grotesque yeah. uh, turn within identity politics. Yes, it really is. And also, what it seems to do for me is it erects walls in between people, so that they have to then suddenly find themselves on an opposite side of something which they didn't even know existed. You know, for example, we look now um, down the list of news stories today, and one of them has the majority of high street banks being members of diversity schemes run by Stonewall, the charity, uh, which basically means that they have to set pronouns for everybody that works for them. There's a league table of how, you know, trans-friendly you are. Uh, you have to uh, give guidance to employers on gender-neutral spaces, and you have to sort of talk, talk about uh, diversity and inclusion. There's a, a top 100 index. These are all banking institutions, which were otherwise normally have been seen as, you know, capitalist organisations which wouldn't care a fig about stuff like that. Well, it's almost acquired a quasi-religious quality. Yeah. So if you look at the last 20 years, banks uh, first adopted the fad of declaring how sustainable they were, how green they were, how environmental friendly they were. They yeah. weren't using paper anymore. Uh, and, of course, they got rid of a lot of people, which is very good for the environment. You had less people... Uh, sort of less banks, you know, sort of took up less carbon. Now they've gone a step further and, you know, environmentalism is old school. It's very old fashioned. So yeah. now they move into gender politics. And it's very sad to see the way that the banking world uh, almost turns into, uh, almost begins to resemble a university department yeah. 30 years or ago. Or a student union common room or something. Exactly. It's kind of wonder whether they are beginning to leave their suits behind and putting on the sandals and uh, turning vegetarian at the same right. time. But the, the world of banking does not resemble anything like what it used to look like over the last two centuries. And uh, it's for the worse. It yeah. is really for the worse. Because well, also, they, are, they seem to have forgotten, Frank, that we bailed them out to a large extent, particularly uh, some of these banks that are being called into question for cancelling other people's accounts. You know, we bailed out a lot of the banks with taxpayers' money which we never got back. And now this is how they treat us. Well, the less they're able to handle money and the more uh, financially illiterate they become, the more they move into the world of gender politics and the more they begin to talk to Stonewall and other, uh, other advocacy organizations to almost rebrand themselves. And that's a tragedy. You know, these banks are completely useless in terms of uh, looking after the nation's finances, totally useless in providing customers with a decent service. Mm closing down banks left and right everywhere, and this is particularly affecting elderly people, but instead they're coming along and reinventing themselves as, as kind of social justice warriors promoting gender politics, gender well, ideology. Well, I mean, this is the thing, because the other thing they've been doing over the last few years is closing down uh, branches so that in many towns across the country, in villages in particular, where a lot of old people would use the bank as a point of reference or maybe a point of socialisation, maybe they would meet people in there, there is now no bank. And some places there isn't even a cash machine. That's a tragedy, the way that the banking system has become increasingly parasitical, completely indifferent to the needs of customers. They always talk about customer service. Yeah. 
try calling up a customer service uh, phone line, helpline, and God help you because they are you wait after two and a half hours they tell you that uh, your your phone call is very important to them. Oh yeah, uh, and, and at some point the the, the line goes bang, blank, you get cut off, and you just wasted hours of your time not getting very much uh, of a feedback. Yeah, exactly. I find banks are, are, are become very, very troublesome, and they're one of my least favorite institutions at the moment. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, the Information Commissioner, apparently, has previously found the index that Stonewall provides to the banks and the, the various diversity champion scheme allow Stonewall to exercise, in their words, a significant degree of influence over the policies that participating members operate. And some of that guidance includes things like describing mothers as a parent who has given birth, um, they're also recommending that you remove gendered language and to allow those who self-identify as women to use female toilets and changing rooms. What has this got to do with banking? Well, it's a way that you demonstrate that, you know, you're on the right side of history. And a lot of the people that are in banking now have been educated and socialised into this transgenderist ideology. And they're using their power, and they do have a lot of power, to basically begin to run our lives. So when they tell somebody that your banking account risks being closed down, taken away from you, unless you adopt our narrative, what they are really saying is either you adopt our view of the world or you're in real trouble yeah. when it comes to finances. And that's very, very dangerous. It really is. And then today we also see the Bank of England stating that people of any gender identity can become pregnant. This from Andrew Bailey, a man who claims he can't control inflation, despite that being his actual job. Well, who knows? Maybe in about seven or eight months we'll find out that uh, Andrew Bailey is actually pregnant himself. <laughs> and that will be interesting. It's probably uh, a focus of debate and discussion about the future of banking. And maybe... Uh, Andrew will take maternal leave as well. Well, he can point. take no. He can take advantage of what they call family leave, um, uh, which is uh, uh, available to any birthing parent. Yes, this is this is good. Yeah, it's good to know that our, our bank, the nation's bank, is in such uh, good hands. I mean, also the bank's parental bereavement leave policy talks about parents without specifying gender. Yes, and and you don't have to be a real parent. You could just identify as a parent. Hmm. So some of the people that identify as cats, uh, on occasion when they take a break from their animal life, identify as parents, even though they're like 14 or 15, you know, sort of, they never had sex, but they can still identify yes. as parents. And presumably they're giving birth to litters rather than actual individual child yeah. children, you know. I mean, incredible, absolutely incredible. It's hard to believe we're even having this conversation, Frank, but luckily you are a sensible individual, so we know that it's not real, except it is. Um, stay with us, though, because we've got much more to talk to you about, uh, much more indeed coming up on the show, because here we are. Uh, it's the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, the one place to get the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Let's do it. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Angus in Yorkshire says this, Mike, the so-called climate change is being used as an excuse to rinse the British public till we squeak, and we are squeaking very loudly. Also, the fact that more money has been raised for the policeman in France who shot the youth rather than for his family, that shows how people react when forced to accept mass illegal immigration and poorly planned multiculturalism. Well, certainly things in France have been pretty horrific over the last few nights. Last night, again, it seemed to have become uh, relatively quiet, so we can only hope uh, that things calm down a bit more uh, in France. But there's still massive pools of smoke hanging around uh, and a massive great deal uh, of 
conflict between the police and certain ethnic minority groups in France. So we'll find out from Gavin Mortimer later on uh, over in France precisely what is going on and what Emmanuel Macron is saying about it as well. Um, we've got Frank Frady with us, uh, author and sociologist. And obviously, you know, the migration question still is very much a hot topic in this country, uh, a hot topic in France, in most of Europe as well. Um, and Rishi Sunak, it would seem, uh, Frank, is at very much the mercy of his own party now, who have basically said to him, if you can't get a handle on this, not only will we lose the next election, but you'll be out of a job as leader of the party. Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, the Conservative Party has uh, decided that uh, it doesn't like uh, illegal uh, migration, but it's too difficult a problem to solve. And so instead of tackling the problem wholeheartedly and uh, taking every opportunity to contain this difficulty, it's always found the easy way out. So it periodically makes declarations about all these big plans that it has. Uh, but when push comes to shove, uh, they are really superficial. They just don't confront the problem head on. And now and again, when it tries to do something specific, for example, it's plan to send people to Rwanda, it then can use the fact that inevitably the, the courts will rule out to be illegal. The courts will always rule any policy affecting migrants that would contain migration to be illegal. Mm. And, and we are back to square one, but not back to square one. We were solved than we were beforehand. Because when you have all talk and no action, uh, you basically create an incentive for people to come to Britain, to, to illegally come to Britain. And the problem basically spirals out of control. Well, we've seen um, adverts now on TikTok since that ruling last week about Rwanda uh, being an illegal place to send migrants, right? Even though they're illegal in and of themselves. Um, apparently, they're using that as an advert to tell more people to come here because they say if you get here, you can't be sent anywhere because it's illegal. And um, the courts have ruled it so. Yeah, I mean, presumably they have a picture of uh, these judges uh, making the ruling and saying, well, the, these lords... These law lords have decided that uh, we're welcome, so let's get around and visit Britain. Yeah, uh, That's the consequence of the ruling. It serves as an invitation, a carte blanche, for people to come and visit British society and make themselves at home. Yeah, and people say the law lords actually made the decision based upon the existing laws of this country, which is technically actually untrue, because what they did was they interpreted... Um, something which they thought was true, which had nothing to do with any law, which is that Rwanda would possibly send some of these migrants back to their home countries, which they won't do because they don't have any returns policies with any of those countries. So it was actually a mistake when they said what they said. Well, the point is they're in a privileged position to interpret the world in accordance with their inclination. Mm. And given their attitude towards uh, illegal migration, which tends to be fairly favourable, it's quite likely that that almost invariably their ruling will always be uh, exactly what they did. And as far as you know, I'm concerned, their views on what happens inside Rwanda are really not particularly insightful. They're not really based on facts. No, based on their prejudices. Well, they're but not they're true. Yeah, these guys are allowed their prejudices because they got the uh, position and the role of being judges. And these judges are meant to be so wise. Was there such uh, such wisdom? Yes. You and I are not meant to be able to uh, match up to them and or question. Oh no, them. of course not. And when I questioned the decision, of course, I was accused of knowing nothing about the law and pretending that I knew more than uh, high court judges. Well, in this particular case, that's that's true uh, because they've misinterpreted a fact and turned it into something which it isn't. 
But this also feeds into my favourite story of the day, which actually is in the Daily Star today, where they quote the director of the Institute of Brain Chemistry and Human Nutrition, who's basically said that over the past 50 years, he's blaming diets for it, right? Our IQs have actually started to go down uh, and the human brain has started to get smaller. Now, I've been pumping this particular notion for quite some time. I've been saying for at least a decade that I think we're getting stupider and that we're evolving in reverse. I mean, is it possible? It is, but not for the reason uh, to do with <laughs> diet, but mainly because we live in a, a society that's very conformist. We're not allowed to think for ourselves. Right. You, know, we have, you know, if you're a mother and father, you've got parenting experts tell you what to do. Yeah. You have sex therapists, you've got life coaches, you've got a whole army of people that hold our hands and tell us you know, how to solve our problems. Yeah. And I think under those circumstances, we lost sight of how to take risks, how to kind of make our way in the world, how to solve problems. And I think as a result of that, we've become a little bit dim in the way that we deal with reality. And I've noticed that with uh, yeah. a lot of people, that they're just not up to the task of, 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 of you know, really meeting those intellectual and uh, philosophical challenges that are part of our everyday lives. Of course. And you and I talk about this a lot. I mean, you see within uh, what the uh, educational system of this country is like, and, and you get people coming to you to learn who have not been taught how to learn, who have not been taught how to question, who have not been taught in school how to have a critical mind. And so they can't advance themselves because they don't know how to ask questions. And if they just keep accepting what they're being told, what hope have we got? Yeah, I mean, it's not the young people's problem. It's an education system that is extremely cowardly about stretching people, about challenging people, criticizing people. And, you know, when you're young, you need to be told that you're wrong when you're wrong. You need to be told to think again. You need to be stimulated and and told, look, that's a difficult issue, but I want you to try and solve it. I don't want you to kind of sit in the corner in your comfort zone. And somehow teachers have got to get young people out of their comfort zone to face the real world. And then they will develop their IQs, they will develop their capacity to think instead of becoming complacent mm. and passive. Yeah, absolutely right. Final question for you. The 75th anniversary of the NHS tomorrow. Uh, there'll be lots of, uh, no doubt, praise for this great organisation. Um, Sajid Javid, who was Health Secretary for a little while, has written a piece in The Times today, basically calling for a Royal Commission into why it doesn't work properly. And he's saying the ailing NHS has actually made us sicker. I think he's right, isn't he? I think he's got a point. I don't think we need a real commission because it's fairly transparent what the problems are. Uh, I think the NHS has become less and less responsive to real health issues and has become a law uh, into itself to the point at which, because it knows it doesn't get criticised, it adopts forms of practices that in any other organisation would be not acceptable. So, for example... Earlier on, you mentioned uh, people's uh, operations being cancelled. People actually got to realize that cancel culture began in the NHS. They're the ones that first institutionalized it, and they practice that all the time. Now, imagine if uh, any other business cancelled so many appointments as the NHS does. That would be that would be unacceptable. Mm. So, when you look closely, I think what we really need to to do is to figure out how we break up the NHS so it's much more responsive to the needs of human beings, it takes patients a little bit more seriously. And you know what I really worry about is when you take the amount of money we spend on the NHS, we spend more money on the NHS than virtually all the services put together. Right. Almost half of the money that we raise in taxes goes to pay for the NHS. And I think under those circumstances, we have to demand a rethink about how health service should be provided to the 
British people. Oh, I think there's no question about it because whatever the system is, and because it doesn't work, it doesn't work partly because there's a lot more people here as well. And it was designed for a, a much older time, a time when, you know, technology was not at the level that it is now uh, and, and where people can do things that they couldn't previously do. But Frank, as ever, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Professor Frank Ferradi, author and sociologist. How about this from Brad in Cambridge? Morning, Mike. My border terrier has decided to self-identify as a human so they can't refuse her entry to restaurants. Quite right too. Um, why can't you? If you're a dog, just identify as a human. If you're a human, you can identify as a dog. Surely it works both ways. I have to tell you. Coming up, uh, we're going to go live outside the High Court. Oliver Whitfield Mircic is there because uh, we've got an anti ulez protester, Wendy Gowlett. There's a hearing going on and it's all happening right here on Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here, of course, with you all the way through until one o'clock. Lots going on today, uh, including, of course, Laura Dodsworth. She'll be popping in uh, to tell us what she's been making of all of the latest shenanigans going on uh, in the culture wars. We'll also uh, be hearing about the NHS and its 75th anniversary and an incredible story this morning in The Sun uh, about Captain Tom. His daughter is being accused of using charity money uh, to apply uh, for the expansion of a spa block in their house. They've already got one point two million pound pad uh, it turns out that she told planners that she wanted to set up an office for the charity set up in her father's name but then built a 50 foot by 20 foot pool house with changing rooms toilets and showers and of course a swimming pool had to be done. Uh, let's go live now, though, uh, on another subject, the ULEZ subject, of course. We're going to speak to the leader of Harrow Council coming up as well. But first, Oliver Whitfield Mircic is down outside the High Court because there's a, a judicial review going on to see whether or not Sadiq Khan actually instituted the expansion of the ULEZ zone here in London uh, unlawfully. Oliver, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. Yes, that's right. This two-day judicial review now underway here at the Royal Court of Justice. The Mayor Sadiq Khan says that he needs to expand ULEZ so that five million more Londoners can breathe clean air. It's a move that is backed by most environmental and health campaigners. However, on the other side is five London councils which say that it's going to hit motorists in the pocket. They say that the compensation scheme and scrappage scheme is not fair and so they have taken the London mayors here to the court. There are fears that some people who are lower income earners who cannot afford the £12.50 they charge to come into the newly expanded zone will then have to ultimately leave their jobs and that those same people would not be able to afford to buy a new vehicle with new car prices at still quite high prices. Well joining me now is Wendy Gowlett who is an anti-ULEZ campaigner Thanks so much for joining us, Wendy. What is it that you oppose about the scheme? It's because having worked hard all our lives and with this scheme coming in, it means that each time we drive out of our property, it's going to cost us money, which we can't afford. We bought ourselves a decent second-hand vehicle just four or five years ago, which is deemed no longer compliant. We can't afford to buy another vehicle. We don't need another vehicle. We don't want another vehicle. Would you not be eligible for the scrappage scheme then? No, definitely not eligible. No, no, we are obviously pensioners. My husband is a little older than me, and so we're not eligible. We don't meet the, meet the criteria. And so it would mean um, perhaps having to find a, prop, a bigger car, um, which we cannot afford. We don't, it came out of our life savings. I've worked hard from the age of 15 
and um, made redundant four times and worked until retirement age and I don't expect to have to now be concerned about cash and money. Do you understand the concerns of health campaigners, environmental campaigners that say that polluting air leads to excess deaths every year and that something needs to change in order to make the capital's air cleaner? I do believe in that and I'm a great, um, I believe in sort of green, green issues and I'm a great campaigner for that. However, I don't, it's being brought in too quickly and there are changes happening all the time. It's continued to sort of, the, the atmosphere is beginning to become clearer and I believe on natural wastage alone, uh, if vehicles, those that can afford to buy new vehicles and those that no longer can want to drive or cars become incompatible um, beyond economic repair, um, I believe that is the way forward. Gradual report. So you don't believe in having you les in your area, but you don't necessarily mind it here in central London? No, I believe that in central London, of course, there's a reason for it and also a way of sort of cutting back on traffic and the pollution but absolutely no need in the area that I live in Beckenham in Kent and where the air is perfectly clear and blue skies and not an ounce of can you understand why people might call you a NIMBY yes I can understand that yes yeah but I'm not a NIMBY no I'm, I'm open to most people's um, thoughts and, and, and desires to have what they want but I do think there's got to be some sort of constraints Wendy Gowlett joining us there from outside the High Court. As I say, that judicial review is now continuing in the building behind me. It'll last for the next two days. Yeah, Oliver, shocking behaviour that, calling a very sensible woman a NIMBY. Absolutely disgraceful. You're fired. Uh, This is Talk TV. Let's talk now uh, to Councillor Paul Osborne, uh, leader of Harrow Council, uh, because he, of course, would agree uh, with the protester we just heard there, Wendy Gowlett, uh, who is happy uh, for uh, there to be a ULED zone in central London, but not for it to be expanded out uh, into Kent, into Sussex, into Hertfordshire, uh, into Buckinghamshire and into Essex. Uh, Paul, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, tell us what the situation is vis-a-vis this um, uh, judicial review. What, what, what are you hoping comes out of it? What, what are you looking forward to uh, seeing at the end of it? Well, what we're hoping is the High Court will decide that the Mayor of London acted unlawfully in putting in this expansion to the ULES scheme and quashes it. So we can then um, actually have a proper debate about this. It can be a subject of the election coming up in May and people can decide what they want for London. Yes, because nobody, as far as we can tell from various polls that have been done, actually wants this, do they? No, I mean, overwhelmingly in outer London, we see 80 odd percent of people against the expansion. It might be uh, popular in inner London, I I don't know, but everything I've seen in outer London and almost all of the uh, emails I get from residents, almost all the polls I've seen from local newspapers and local media outlets, is 80 percent against. Yes. And clearly the air quality in London uh, is an awful lot better uh, than it used to be. So when Sadiq Khan says that it's killing 40,000 people a year or whatever it is that he's claiming, or 4,000, depending on what day you talk to him on, you know, it's clear that he is using hyperbole and fear and kind of, you know, facts which may at least be at the the very best manipulated to suit his agenda. Um, And he needs to stop doing that, doesn't he? Absolutely. I mean, it's clear two things. One... Um, the air quality has improved consistently over a large number of years as vehicles get less polluting um, and people use vehicles less. It's also the case that this scheme won't make that much difference to air quality in London. Even his own report that he used to base the decision on says that this will have a negligible impact on air quality in outer London. 
Yeah, and also when you look at the way that London is structured, and particularly the way that outer London is, where in places where you are. People are saying, oh, well, an awful lot of people won't be affected by you, Les, because they've got cars which are compliant. Well, that may be true, but there are people who come in and out of those areas who work there or who might be coming in to fix somebody's uh, kitchen sink or might be coming in to, uh, you know, to, to, to help somebody move house. You know, there's lots of transient workers, aren't there, who will now have to put their prices up if this happens. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we dispute the Mayor of London's figures on how many vehicles in to London are compliant. That's part of the the court case that's going on as we speak. Uh, but also, as you say, there are people outside London, Hertfordshire, Essex, Kent, Surrey, who are joining us in this judicial review, who have to cross the, the what was a kind of seamless border into mm. London. It's now littered with cameras as you go through. Um, the amount of cameras that have been put up in, in, in my borough is quite shocking. Um, 200 yards in every direction from my house now right. is a ULES camera. And you're not uh, able in any way to, to oppose the imposition of these cameras, right? Because that's a Sadiq Khan sort of ruling. So actually, that's part of what we're arguing in, in, in the High Court, is that actually the mayor doesn't have the power he thinks he has to put some of these um, things in. But we have to go through a court process to, to show that. Yeah. And so um, this will go on for a couple of days, you say. When, when, when will we get a sort of idea of what the ruling is going to be? Well, we're hoping to have it by the end of the month, um, that's when the court waits for the summer recess. Obviously, if we don't get the judgment by then, then it's likely that ULES will come into force at the end of August. Um, I think having that degree of legal uncertainty over something, I'm not sure the court would want, but obviously it's for the judge to decide when, when he releases his verdict. OK, well, we'll look forward to, to getting that. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, that is, of course, Paul Osborne, leader of Harrow Council. Um, five outer London councils have argued that there are five grounds for this judicial review. Um, there's only sufficient evidence, apparently, according to the High Court, for three of them. Uh, the expansion is apparently too big, they're saying. Uh, the consultation was flawed and, according to the councils, it did not disclose important information. Now, if you are eligible for a scrappage scheme, you can get £2,000 for scrapping a non-compliant car or up to £1,000 for scrapping a motorcycle. Not exactly a king's ransom, is it? What are you supposed to do? Buy a new car for 2,000 quid. For wheelchair accessible vehicles, there is a grant available of up to £5,000. And again, this is all public money they're spending, £110 million for a scrappage scheme uh, which nobody wants, which the taxpayer is somehow having to fund, uh, which Sadiq Khan says uh, is uh, necessary for making the air cleaner in and around the capital city of London. And you know if you're in Newcastle, if you're in Bristol, uh, if you're in Manchester, if you're in Leeds, if you're in Glasgow, you know that this is happening all over the place and you will be getting this problem uh, very, very soon if you haven't got it already. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. We've got lots of calls to take. We will start taking many calls very shortly, so do make them for us. We want to hear from you on the NHS 75th anniversary birthday tomorrow. Uh, what have they got to celebrate? Not an awful lot, it would have to be said. Seven million people uh, waiting for um, the first procedure that they've been waiting for, probably for at least six months, possibly a year. Uh, we also want to talk to you about electric cars as well, because it turns out that now the electric car bubble has well and truly burst. It looks like Volkswagen in Germany has stood down uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of employees. They're not now going to produce a particularly new electric car because there simply isn't demand for it. This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online. On DAB+. Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, the one place where you get the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because this is uh, the original and genuine Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, we've got lots to talk about. Laura Dodsworth coming in uh, shortly. She's going to be talking to us about what's been going on with Twitter, what's been going on with the gender agenda, the COVID inquiry still going on. We'll get the latest on that from her as well. And also, what about these banking people and free speech? You know, because they've all signed up to Stonewall's gender ideology. Uh, apparently now, uh, if you say, I don't think a woman can have a penis, you can't have a bank account. Are they having a laugh? Are they really seriously going to say that? Because if they are, I think there's going to be a revolution in this country. And in the front page of the Daily Mail this morning, uh, always a newspaper that has its hand on the tiller uh, to some extent of the middle classes of this country, uh, they're saying no. There needs to be a root and branch reform of this banking system that we've got in this country. Because let's not forget that we are responsible for saving the backsides of a lot of these bankers. The people who are now currently living high on the hog, ordering up their second Lamborghini. They wouldn't even have a job if it wasn't for the taxpayer-funded bailout that was done uh, by Gordon Brown uh, in the Labour government uh, of around 2008. And Tony Blair, of course, as well. Unbelievable situation where people are losing bank accounts because of something that they either said or something that they may have thought even. Incredible. First, though, let's talk to Gavin. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Also, writer, of course, at The Spectator. He's our man uh, on the other side of the channel. Keeps us up to date with what's happening en France. And uh, it's been a bit scary and it's been a bit hairy uh, and it's been a bit leery over the last few days. Uh, let's find out from Gavin whether things have settled down a little bit. Gavin, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Morning to you, Mike. It's interesting, you- what you, it's, just, it's interesting what you say there about it's been a bit scary and, and hairy and leery. It has, of course, in certain districts. But I was down in the south of the weekend, yeah. mother-in-law's 70th birthday party in, in uh, Rodez in Avril. And there it's life as normal. And in fact, when, when you say, hey, we've come down from... Uh, from Paris, they their eyes widen and they yeah. say, "My God, what's going on there? It looks like a war zone." Right. And of course, it is a war zone. My the district next to me was under a curfew, uh, where this mayor was attacked with a uh, 
uh, a ram raiding so that, car. Yeah. yeah, that's just four miles south of me. So it, it's it's a really sort of surreal time to be in France at the moment. Right, because interesting you say that because a lot of the the stories that we see obviously are catapulted via social media. You're never quite sure whether they're absolutely to be believed as they are being portrayed. But also news reports have been saying that it has been spreading. It's not simply an inner city situation. I mean, it's been in, I think, Bordeaux. It's gone to other parts of the country as well, hasn't it? Yeah, that's a very good point, Mike, because it has spread to other parts of the country. And the the, the, the French media are now... Um, there's been a lot of comment on a uh, French intelligence report at the weekend that said um, quite a bit of a violence is being caused by um, far-left extremists. Yes. So the usual lot, Black Bloc, uh, Antifa, who turn up at any protest and cause mayhem. Um, and so uh, that's why it spread to, to outside the, uh, to, uh, the inner cities. Uh, it seems to have been, it sort of calmed in the last couple of days. When I say calm, last night there were 72 arrests and 160 cars burned. Um, but in total, Mike, some stats for you. Uh, in the last week, 6,000 vehicles have been burned, 800 police officers injured, 1,100 buildings burned or damaged, 270 police stations attacked, and 3,500 arrests made. So, I mean, it's been a, just a crazy week. And, and the government now, they're, they're sort of saying they've had 45,000 police on the streets in, uh, since Friday. Um, that's calm things, uh, but they're worried about uh, July the 14th, the Bastille um, Day celebrations. Day, yeah. yeah, that's right. They're worried that uh, it's, there could be a, an eruption there again. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem. And people say, I mean, I was talking to a Paris correspondent at the time just then, and he said, yeah, you know, we are used to it. We do have a lot of riots in the summer. We get them all year round as well. But these have been particularly bad, um, and the damage has been particularly bad, hasn't it? It has been particularly bad, yeah. And... Uh, there, um, uh, people are beginning to come into court now, certainly the looters who, uh, who've been arrested um, looting shops. And it's quite interesting to see their profiles. Um, for example, 12 were in a, in a Grenoble court in eastern France at the weekend. Most of them had jobs, uh, a couple of students among them, three illegal immigrants. Um, and only two of the 12 cited the death of Nahal, a 17-year-old teenager who was shot dead by police, as the reason that they were... Um, committing these crimes right. and most of them i think the similarity might if you think back to 2011 and the tottenham riots in in london yeah. a lot of the people who were looting then were opportunity opportunity opportunistic yeah. crimes and they said that we just caught i apologize we just got caught up in there sort of the adrenaline mm. frenzy of it and i think certainly with the looting that's true but with the more serious damage the attacks on police which are quite well organized uh, and the attack on the police station and, and the mayor and other officers, uh, that, that's uh, more professional agitators. Yes. Like so would it be wrong to say that this is all a result of an incident uh, where a, a, a member of an ethnic minority community has been badly treated by the police? Those two groups have pretty sort of poor history uh, in terms of the relationships between the two of them. There's a lot of accusations that the police are racist, a lot of accusations that some of the demonstrators, as you say, were illegal migrants, but but not many, maybe. It's certainly, I mean, that's, that was obviously the flashpoint, and the, the police officer has been charged with voluntary manslaughter. He will uh, have to explain his actions in court. Um, but the, the fact that they spread so quickly and, and the profiles of, the, of many of those taking part um, indicate that it's, it's far more than uh, just uh, a, a sense of injustice at a minority, it has to be said, a minority of police officers who are 
Um, there is undoubtedly a, um, a streak of racism among a few and also just indiscipline generally and a disrespect with how they treat um, young people, particularly those of an ethnic minority. And I think that's really a very important going forward, that they have to look please, at their, their procedures for stop and search and for um, uh, uh, vehicle checkpoints. There were 20, 27,000 in um, such vehicle stops in 2021, uh, Mike, and in those, I think, 157 times a uh, firearms were used by the police. Yeah. And uh, there were 13, um, uh, 13 uh, young men were, were injured. So, um, but, but why are there so many uh, refusals to stop at vehicle checkpoints? Well, it's partly to do with, the, with challenging the authority of not just the police, but the French state. I think that's really the deep problem about this, that there are in the inner cities, um, almost in a parallel society has grown up in the last 20 years. And politicians have, have shied away from confronting that, despite the fact that social commentators, both the left and the right, have said this, but they, they don't know what to do. But something's got to be done, because otherwise this will happen again. Yeah, um, but certainly, I mean, from my time living in America, you know, if you get, if you get sort of pulled over by the police, you, you stop. You don't, you know, decide to go on a sort of 15 mile chase because they'll probably kill you. You know, same in France by the sounds of it. So if you are actually asked to stop, surely you do. Yeah, if a, if a policeman has got a gun, um, um, then I would, I think most people would stop. But it just shows that uh, the, there is a sort of a, a lawlessness in some of these inner city estates and they just don't respect the police. And so the police react accordingly. Um, and uh, I've heard some... American and British commentators claim as systemic racism within the French police. I don't believe that. Um, and uh, there, are, there, are, there is a, a minority of officers um, uh, who need uh, to be rooted out. But generally, they do a very good job in very difficult circumstances. And let's not forget, Mike, it's only uh, about three weeks ago that the police rushed to the scene in Annecy when mm. a man was running a mop with a knife. Four minutes it took them to get there, and they could have prevented a far worse tragedy. Um, several police officers have lost their lives in um, uh, the Islamist attacks in the last decade in, in Paris. So they do a very good job indeed under very difficult circumstances. Mm. You've got these far left anarchists, these very these environmental radicalists. Um, it's not easy being a police officer in France, but it's not to excuse in any way any officer who oversteps the line. No, of course. But is there any kind of debate now going on in France, uh, you know, in the salons, if you like, of, of, of what to do about all of this unrest and what to do of all of this, you know, cultural exchange and perhaps even class war that's going on? Well, of course, uh, Eric Zimmer, the, um, the right wing politician who stood in last year's presidential election, got about 7% of the vote, two and a half million votes. Um, he's really been quite prominent over the weekend, as is Marine Le Pen's uh, National Rally Party, saying that immigration must be stopped. Yeah. Now, this has been a theme of Eric Zimmer um, ever since he entered politics uh, 18 months ago. But he's really, um, he sees this as, as, as proof of what he's been saying all along. If you import different cultures, particularly from the third world, it's going to lead to trouble. Uh, and it's interesting to see how the Republicans, the centre-right party in France, like the Tories, um, they've shifted their stance there vis-a-vis uh, um, -vis immigration to, to a much tougher line. Um, and I think uh, Macron has continually um, shied away from doing anything about mm. the migrant problem. There is a migrant crisis, Mike, every bit as serious as there is in the UK. And politicians, uh, 
just as in the UK, the French government mm. are reluctant to tackle it. And it needs courage. The, you know, politicians, Macron and his government, have to act with courage. Because if they don't, we will be in a similar situation, maybe in a yeah. few months, maybe in a couple of years. But for too long, people have, have, have warned about such social um, discontent and the politicians haven't done anything mm. about it. No, exactly. And I mean, the good news for France, though, uh, is that, in fact, they could just put a border up uh, instead of letting people walk into uh, their country, which is currently what happens. If you manage to get yourself to Greece or Italy, you can literally walk into France, can't you? I mean, we at least have the protection of some sea, uh, some water in between us and the French coast, although we seem incapable of doing anything about it. But I mean, the problem for France, I suppose, as I say, is that, um, you know, it's a much easier place to get to uh, if you're in Europe already. Yeah, absolutely. And the other problem, Mike, is legal uh, migration from uh, Algeria, Tunisia and yeah. Morocco um, and, and people coming here and then outstaying their visas. And, and there's a lot of talk about there's a 1968 treaty between Algeria and France. Mm. It makes it quite easy for Algerians to come in. There, uh, a lot of politicians on the right are saying this has to be revised. Um, but Mike, some figures for you. 100,000 Italian media are reporting uh, this weekend. 100,000 migrants have made the uh, have attempted to leave north africa for italy Forty thousand were intercepted by libyan and tunisian um uh navy but sixty thousand have made it to italy that's an increase of 134 percent on the same figures yeah. uh for the first six months of last year so this isn't a problem that's going to go away it's only going to get worse and i come back to the word i said courage needs to be found among not just the french and the uk politicians but the eu but there was a summit last week in um, Brussels to discuss EU, and as usual, it ended with no agreement, and mm. everyone seemingly pulls apart on what to do about it. Meanwhile, I saw a video yesterday of Richard Gere on a boat in the Mediterranean, surrounded by migrants, I don't know if you saw it, uh, talking yeah. about working for some charity called Open Arms, which I've never heard of before, which apparently specialises in rescuing people um, who are trying to get from Africa to Europe and bringing them to Europe. And you're kind of going, what's it going to do with you, mate? Richard Gere, yeah. you know, stick to the Mexican border if you want to get involved in immigration issues. There's plenty going on there. But anyway, listen, uh, Gavin, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Gavin Mortimer from The Spectator over in France, giving the French perspective. People are having the same debates there as we're having here. Enough is enough. It's that simple. Laura Dodsworth coming next. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, it is, what is it, the 4th of July. So happy Independence Day if you happen to be listening in America. I know some people are. Some people are Americans listening here uh, and in other parts of the world as well. Um, I wish my, my sister a happy Independence Day. She's over there at the moment. Laura Dodsworth is here. Good I'm not going to say happy Independence Day to you because it is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. And every day is Independence Day here, <laughs> right? We're always independent thinkers. Every we day are. is an Independence Day for us. And look at this. She's got a new book out. It's called Free Your Mind. It could not be a better title because that's what we try to do. Free your mind because you've got a mind. I've just been talking about how uh, there's, a, uh, there's a scientist who's done a study who's arguing that actually people are getting stupider. Um, and this is something I've been saying for many, many uh, years and possibly a decade uh, that I believe that the human race is actually evolving backwards and people are becoming <laughs> thicker and thicker as the years go on. There's a meme for that, isn't there? You see you see the evolutionary man going kind of like yeah, a creature right. to human and then someone says, turn around. That's right. Yeah, we got it wrong. Start again. But there is something about that, that people are now willing to believe what they're told. They're not as questioning as they used to be. I think they're being educated differently so that they're not 
really challenging what they're being told. They're accepting the narrative. They're beginning to, to sort of behave like sheep. And, and as we've seen in various ways that we're going to talk about today, you know, with the banking business, with um, the transgender ideology, you know, if you don't think the way you're supposed to think, you know, you're a bad person. You yeah. might even be a bigot. Yeah, we should definitely talk about, about banks. There's lots to talk about there because I think, I think you're right. The thing is, um, I have a lot of faith in people. There's a Dostoevsky quote about this. It's something like, no, the, more, the more I love humanity, the less I love people. Yes. Uh, I'd be kind of more the other way around. I have a lot of faith in individuals. Mm. Um, but the problem is that a lot of authorities and systems now are set up to teach us to be the same. Yeah. That's what they... Right. They, inverted commas, want. You they know. don't want individuals. No, school's about wh what to think, not how to mm. think. Um, governments use biases against us all the time in nudge and behavioural science, mm. you know, things like the conformity bias, the authority bias. They want us to all act mm. the same and, and to obey and do what we're told. And you see it with banks as well, you know, with the kind of, you know, the... The, the cancelling of PayPal yeah. accounts or people's bank accounts if mm. they're not towing the right. line, you know, if they're not obeying all of the woke shibboleths. Mm. And actually, I think this really needs to be resisted, but it starts with you. If you think of um, humanity's intelligence or society as being like an aeroplane, yeah. right now, I think it's in free fall. Yeah. But when it is, the first thing you should do is put your oxygen mask on because your brain needs to be alert. Yeah. Actually, that's what that book's about. It's not actually You're not 20th, advocating but... people should wear masks, are you? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm advocating people should buy my book free completely or masks. Full circle. No. <laughs> no, definitely not. But you know, that's just an analogy. Yeah. It's it's out on the twenty. All the other analogy would be never mind first. the mask. Get a parachute and jump out. <laughs> you can think of the book as a parachute mm. if you like. But the thing is, you can't. Um, I think there are there are two opportunities for us at the moment. If you recognise that a lot of trust in institutions is broken, you know, trust in news is very low. Th there are two opportunities. One is we rebuild institutions the way we want them to be. That, but it still has to start with you, the individual. Yeah. You have to you have to free your own mind. You have to be an individual. You have to be a sovereign of your own mind. So that's what that's about. And you know, basically, it follows on for the kind of themes that we talk about every week. We do about how people are captured by ideology yeah. and groupthink. Mm. And, leaving and they feel safe behind. because they're with the crowd. And lots yeah. of people feel safe in the crowd. I don't like crowds, I'm afraid. I prefer to be on my own. But let's talk a bit about the crowds in Twitter because Twitter had a very odd weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't really spoken to anybody about it because I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to about the way Twitter works. And you've been on it a long time. You know how it is. Um, inside of Elon Musk's head, I suspect, because I oh, wonder... I'd love to be inside yeah, Elon Musk's head. I wonder, Stop, I wish. Well, I don't know whether you'd want to be there for long, though, because I think I hear different stories, but I've heard mm. one of the sort of stories I've heard is he's got rid of so many people now that there's a kind of anarchy in Twitter. And I got to the point where, I think it was Saturday it happened first, and I got this exceeded data thing, this warning. Yeah. Um, and eventually, after a couple of hours, when I couldn't really read anything... I put out a tweet and said, is anybody else getting this? And it turned out loads mm -hmm. of people, were, not everybody, um, but lots of people were getting it. Um, and it, Which meant you basically could only read one tweet at a time. You couldn't read the tweet above or below. You couldn't access an awful lot of people's accounts. It got so bad on Sunday that I couldn't even read my own account. that I'd send out a tweet and I couldn't even see my own tweet. 
crazy times. And the thing is, a lot of people listening to this won't even be Twitter users. Nothing. Why does everyone bang on about Twitter all the time? And that's one of the the reasons I didn't want to go on about it. Yeah, but the thing is, why are we talking about it? Well, he cut off our crack supply Mm. this weekend, didn't he? It's basically it's our social media crack. Um, Hello, my name is Laura, and I am a Twitter editor. You've asked the right person because yes, it's my natural habitat. Where do you find Laura on Twitter? Because there's a lot I've really loved about it. You know, it's a very democratic medium. You can talk to anybody; they can talk back to you. I have literally made real world friends. My first book, you know, five books ago, that only happened because I crowdfunded it and it went crazy on Twitter. So there's a lot of good sides to Twitter. One thing I find very frustrating about it, and we've just seen it in action this weekend, is people talk about it being a public square, but it's not. We talk about Twitter because politicians are on there, journalists Mm. are on there, influencers. It feels as though it's governments. It feels like it's a kind of a crystal ball. Uh for public policy and and thinking. And it shouldn't be because it's not the real world and yet it's become important. But is it a public square? No, it's more like a labyrinth and the lights are off and somebody's got control of walls and they pop them up and pop them down. Now, a lot of people hoped that when Elon Musk took over, things would get better. I was cautiously optimistic, but I was one of the people that said, well, hang on. He said a couple of things that are very worrying. He talked about freedom of speech and not freedom of reach. Mm. Well, they're the same thing. Because if you're talking in a void on your own and no one can hear you, your speech means nothing. There has to be a freedom to be heard. The problem with Twitter has always been, and maybe never more so now, that we don't really know what the rules are. Mm. They would deny that they were shadow banning, taking down accounts and reducing the f- But we know that they vote. were doing that. Well, now we know they were doing yeah. it. Now he's admitted they were doing right. it, but they're still doing it. Yeah. Now, since he came on in February, I can tell you what's happened to my account. I can't prove that it's an algorithm or there's any wrongdoing, but my followers don't grow. Right. You know, I do something, I get 100 followers. They go over the next day. They don't grow as much, no. No, no, they do not not. grow. Mm. But not only that, it's as though my reach has got a kind of, um, it's got a limit on it. Oh, this post is only going to be seen by 3,000 people. It doesn't matter how many people retweet it. I've noticed that my posts are being sent to people who don't follow me more. And Mm. many of them disagree with what I say. And so I get a lot more abuse than I used to get because it's from people who are wondering why they're seeing my tweets. Yeah. You know? And the other problem is, of course, if you break the rules in some way, you upset some wokerati at Mm. Twitter or you disrupt some algorithmic rule, you don't know what you've done. Mm. It's simply that your visibility is reduced. So you're put on a kind of a naughty step, but you're not told why. So there's no right of appeal. There's no transparency about what's going on. So if it's a public square, Mm. this is the worst public square in the world, ruled by a petty tyrant who won't tell us what the rules are. I'm not calling Elon Musk the petty tyrant. And the police come running into the public square and grab you and put you in a a dark room and start beating up with a rubber hose without you knowing. you can still talk. You can still talk in your torture chamber, but no one will hear you. Now, I'm not calling Elon Musk the petty tyrant. I think he's got good intentions for free speech. I think he has has but it's a mess but you'll also know i'm sure you will anyway that there's also an eu rule coming in very soon which mm. is going to govern twitter and some people have said that last weekend was a kind of um harbinger if you like of that because he's basically signed up he said he wouldn't sign up to it but he now has signed up to the fact that the eu will now effectively govern social media in any country um in europe not necessarily yeah. because it's part of the eu but just because it's in europe so now twitter will be slightly less musky and a bit more EU-y. Which is going to be awful. Yeah. We like a musky Twitter. We do. But the thing is, 
this is all about the way the people that govern us have a theory of our mind, which is the wrong information mustn't go into it. Mm. That's why there's a whole censorship industrial complex. There are fact checkers, misinformation units, truth verifiers. There's mm. a priest cast of truth. There's a, a truth squad. Yeah. You know, we know that from the Twitter files. They don't want the wrong information to go into your brain. They don't want you to make decisions. They want you to be a big hive mind. Mm. And so the thing is, you know, the internet, the web, social media search... All of these provide genuinely democratic opportunities for people to partake in public discourse, to widen their minds, to broaden their knowledge. But there are some people who are very worried that you don't know what to do with the knowledge. You don't know how to sort the right knowledge from the wrong knowledge. And so that's where we see all these controls at the moment. There's a real technocratic tightening of the net. And you feel it when you're on there all the time. You know, like I say, I feel my account is squashed. It's like it's being depressed from above by a gigantic bluebird's thumb. Yes. Interesting. I like the Truth Squad. I like the, the sound of that. They're now, not good. They're no. not good. You wouldn't like the Truth no, Squad. No, but I like the name, though. The name's yeah. great. Great name for a band. Um, <laughs> you've been playing around with filters, haven't you? I have. And I'm prepared to humiliate myself publicly on TV. Good. So as... Like, I did a lot of research right. for this book. Um, one of the easiest types of research was to spend a lot of time on social media. comes easy to an addict like me. But I think it's really important to understand how it's affecting our minds. And it, it's a bit of a squib, but something interesting I yeah. thought I'd do is start playing with filters okay. more. So there's this um, filter on TikTok, which has become quite well known. It's called Body Glamour. Okay. And I wanted to send you a before and an after right. so you can see what it did to me. This is before, and this, this is, is why I'm being so see, that nice. that doesn't do you justice, that. Because... Well, that's after a run, no okay. makeup and I haven't brushed my hair. Okay. I thought I'd show you, like, really, really that's good... That's totally unfiltered. That's proper unfiltered. Which hardly anybody ever uses as a picture of themselves, do they? Aren't I nice? Aren't I nice sharing this with the wider public? That is Laura with no okay. makeup after a run. And, and then, then this is the same location straight after with Ooh. the body glamour filter. It's got filter. a bit of Sports Illustrated look Oh, my it. Lord, look at this. Now, this did something weird to me when I did it. I looked at it and I was like... Oh, is this what I could look like yeah. with really good makeup? Right. Holy cow! Right. I'm, I mean, Your my, face is, I'm not trying hard enough. More triangular, but it did cheekbones. Sh- it's well done. It's not just makeup. It's not just ridiculously expert makeup. What it's done is change my face shape. Yeah. I've got different nose and lips. Yeah. and then there's well, it something used to be called Photoshop. You know, in the old days when I was in magazines and newspapers and things, and people would Photoshop everything, mm. particularly cover pictures of models or, or of. Um, film stars or whatever it was and they would always be photoshopped because you would just use it because it would make it look like a more attractive person and of course there's nothing new under the sun mm. art has always flattered human beings yeah. go back to any painting sculpture there's there's nothing new under the sun but mm. i tell you what's different once upon a time if you'd want a portrait painted you'd, you'd have to have some money first of all the materials yeah. are expensive it was very time consuming yeah. then come to the more you know modern day times you and i grow up with where you had a camera and it was processed using film. Mm. And then you get Photoshop, but still there was some effort involved. Well, now it's different. You can machine gun selfie yourself. You know, you can get a burst of 10 yeah. photos. Then you pick the best one. That's already a filtering process. Yeah. The, the camera has done something mm. to you. It's changed you. The way you look at yourself yeah. and angle yourself has changed how you depict yourself. And then you can apply a filter, and these filters are now crazy. So we are changing our own image in a way that we've never done before Mm. because it requires no effort. It's totally ubiquitous, and everyone's doing it. Now, I'm I'm 50. I'm a Photoshop-wielding photographer. You could even call me a feminist. I mean, you're a a photographer by trade, aren't you? I was, yeah. And so I am not normally sucked into something like this, but that made me feel a bit funny about myself. Mm. 
I felt when I looked back at the real me that I looked like a real plain Jane. Right. And I think, you know, it's not healthy to be using these filters, but they're very ubiquitous. But of course it goes beyond that. You know, people are putting cat's ears on themselves and you go, right. oh, it's just a bit yeah, of fun. that's very silly. But do you know that there are hundreds of thousands of what are called furries yeah. on Reddit forums? We you had this, we child, did this on Plank of the Week the other day. The child who identified as a cat, yeah. what you need to understand is that's a canary in the coal mine. Mm. I put forward a theory in this book that actually, because we're playing with our image and not just how we look, but how we present ourselves, you know, we always present the best version of ourselves, our successes, our holidays, yeah. our good moments. We're not talking about the mundane stuff or the awful stuff. We are becoming the ultimate propagandists. Mm. You know, we're self-propagandists. And, you know, frankly, if we're prepared to accept our own lies, why aren't we, ex yeah. why aren't we prepared to accept other people's lies? And if everybody else is photoshopped, why shouldn't you be? Well, because be that question. also raises the bar. Right. It creates mm. a bit of pressure. Um, I interviewed one of our country's most well-known plastic surgeons. He's called Dr. Esho. And he coined a term for it, and it's called Snapchat dysmorphia. Yeah. So what he found is that people used to come in to him wanting surgery to look like a supermodel or an actress. Mm. But they were bringing in their selfies and saying, I want to look like my selfie. Yeah. So we're ending up in this strange yeah. world where people want to look like an artificial version themselves. But he said this, the filters have gone so far that people are asking for things that are impossible. You know, they want bone structure removed. They want pores removed. Mm. And then he said there was another thing that happened in lockdown. People were on Zoom all the time and applying filters to themselves. Did you notice people doing this? Oh, you probably were because you Not were really. here. But people in meetings would be making their skin look smooth, got the kind of tropical backgrounds. Mm. And so it wasn't just young people with Snapchat dysmorphia, but a whole middle-aged generation right. of people wanted to look like their Zoom self. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I am guilty when I did a, do... I did not so much for here, but when I would do interviews sometimes during lockdown and I was at home, and I would have a different background just because... I didn't like my own background, so I would put in, like, I used to do one with the last night of the proms, a lot of Union Jacks being flown, and everybody was like, bigot, you know, just because it would wind <laughs> them up. Look at the typical, that's what he has behind him. Yeah. And it's actually just a, a fake image. But there we are. Interesting. Um, let's talk a bit about um, the COVID inquiry, because I think we haven't mm. seen each other. I've been away. Um, we've had Matt Hancock since the last time I saw you. Well, we talked about, about I talked about Matt Hancock with Kevin when yeah. you went here last week. There's, there's another update I'd really like to talk about yeah. from the COVID inquiry. I mean, I'm finding it quite upsetting and discombobulating to see what they're not talking about. Right. Now, there's a great article in The Telegraph today that I'd urge people to read based on a report from the Children and Parent cam Campaigning Group, right. us for them. And they have pointed out that there were nine times that the government ignored calls not to close schools because of the harms on children, including the risk of mental health problems yeah. and suicide. And, of course, we know the government did go on to close schools. Yes, and all of those things did happen. Year and, uh, exactly. So it's very depressing, to be honest, to hear in the inquiry people like Matt Hancock getting a lot of airtime saying we should have locked down harder and earlier. And this has become the question, why didn't we do it harder and earlier? The real question is, why did we lock down at all? Yes. Which went against established pandemic plans. But nobody's asking that question, as you say, are they? No. And why did we lock down schools mm. knowing mm. that expert advice was that it would damage children? So there's some stats that have come out about suicide, which are incredibly sad. Um, well, I know in 2020, people, there were 161 suicides yeah. in people aged between 10 and 19. But that compares to 34 deaths from COVID. Mm. You know, if you think back to the time we were being told anything to save one life, you've got to save one life and save right. the NHS. But it feels as though children were really sacrificed in this effort. There was no honesty so about the So was the, the NHS, by them. the way. The NHS was not saved. The NHS was sacrificed on the altar of COVID. 
you know, so you couldn't get anything done. And I personally know people that have called into this show who told me in the second year, you know, I've got cancer, stage four cancer. And they've all said to me, if I could have been seen last year, they could have done something. And now they can't. And those people that called into this show are probably dead now. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, we've got, what's the waiting list? Seven point four million, Ron. Now something. Well, I mean, that's it's, the it's that's insane. the that's the small waiting list. The real waiting list is seventeen million because there's another ten million who have had their first procedure and waiting for a second. And if you are, I mean, say in my area, the waiting list for CAMS. If mm. you're one of those children with mental health problems, the waiting list is eighteen months. Right. And then when you get through the treatments, is not. It's not what you'd hope for. No. Let's call. Let's well, just say you know that. when things are bad, when you start to talk to people who are telling you stories of friends of theirs whose kids have killed themselves. And I've had about three of them mm. in recent memory. I know, I know young people who've dropped off the school register, who don't go to school anymore, they didn't do their GCSEs, who started self-harming, yeah. who got addicted to drugs, all kinds of things in lockdown. And, I, you know, we're going to feel the impact for generation. But I, I want to say that not only did lockdown maybe contribute to mental health problems and ultimately be a factor in, in suicide, but I think it's worse than that because there was a report in 2020 and Nadine Dorries um, talked about it widely. The result of the report was that lockdown hadn't made suicides go up. Mm. At the time, I found the report quite concerning because, first of all, it was too early for the report. Um, existing disaster literature shows that suicides don't go up when you're in the crisis. They go up afterwards. Yeah. We were still in it. Secondly, it was a small population, a relatively small population of 9 million people. It sounds like a lot, but it's not when mm. you're looking at small numbers like um, suicide. It was using real-time reporting, but that wasn't comprehensive because it bypassed the full coronial process. And it also compared one time period in one year with a different time period in another year. So it wasn't really an accurate comparison. And at the time, everyone wanted to latch onto it, probably because they had the best intentions. Mm. They didn't want to think what they were doing might kill people. Right. But they said, this is proof that lockdowns aren't causing suicide. It was too early for that report. Yeah. And I think we're seeing because a Because they wanted picture. it to be true. Like so much yeah. around COVID, much of the messaging was all about what they wanted it to be rather than what it actually was. Yeah. And they haven't learned that lesson yet. And yet school closures aren't in module one of the inquiry, which is disgraceful. Right. That should be front and centre of this inquiry. You would have thought. The impact on children and education. Right. And it also shouldn't be, shouldn't be forgotten that nobody in politics stood up against it. And in fact, quite the reverse. You know, nobody mm. said, because a lot of the schools actually were told, if you want to stay open, you can. And I've spoken to head teachers who kept their schools open to a larger extent than not, because they knew that their kids, particularly inner city kids, would be much worse off if they weren't coming into school every day. And so they actually fought that. And a lot of schools were told, we recommend that you close. And so they did, you know, which is awful. Um, we're nearly at the end. Um, banks. 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 Because it's, it's hit the news this week that Nigel Farage's bank account was yeah. closed. He couldn't open another one. It turns out he's not alone. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are jumping on this really quite gleefully. Now, I'm not a friend of Nigel Farage. I've got no skin in the game here, but mm. I think we should be worried when anyone's bank account is Absolutely. closed. And there are people saying, this is great. We want banks to have more of a social conscience. But I don't think they're really thinking about what a slippery slope this is. Mm. First of all, banks have quite a lengthy sin sheet themselves. Does anyone remember the subprime mortgage crisis well, of 2008? Well, you mean the one that we rescued them with taxpayers' money we, from? We rescued them yeah. while people were made homeless. Yeah. I mean, this is disgraceful. That's, really is. that's a true ethical quandary. 
Um, you know, we've had a vicar losing his bank account for speaking out about LGBTQ plus stuff. Um, any of Toby Young's accounts yeah. at PayPal were shut down. It turns out a lot of people in the Brexit party were attacked this way a couple of years ago. They just didn't make much of a fuss about it. Do you know what happened to us for them, yeah. that children's That's campaigning right. group? So if you don't uphold the woke shibboleths of the day, you can you can have your money supply cut off. Now, the thing is, you can't really participate in society without a bank account. Right. I actually think that not only should they have to potentially provide a very rigid and long notice period, which is one of the um, recommendations mm. coming from politicians, and be totally transparent about what can get you to right. that state, I think it should go further. I think it should be a, a, a civic right. Everyone should have the right to a bank account. Yeah. Because how can you be in this world without a bank account? We can't just eject people because we don't like what they have to say. Yes. You know, we already have laws. We have a police system. We have a judiciary system. We have a penal system. If somebody breaks the law there are ways of dealing with it we don't have to cut off their money no. too and you never know when it's going to you know wh where's this going to go wh when are they going to change Maybe we need a nigel, bank. nigel farage one day who, well who is it the next day yeah. i don't want banks to have a social conscience particularly except no. in regards to how they conduct their own they've business all signed up, would you believe to the stonewall principles of gender inclusivity and that's part, partly why this is all happening which brings us to this other hilarious story about the bank of england yes because the bank of england um has talked about upgrading all of its toilets to unisex now yeah. this is no upgrade in my mind i hate unisex toilets i'm sorry men i'm sorry men you're all all right i just don't want to share the lose with you yeah but then i you like get the, the ladies lose okay. well it's the same with the train it's a gender neutral toilet it's on the plane it's a gender neutral toilet yeah, What's I don't the like using them. I'd still rather have a lady's toilet. Well, also, it's not really a I toilet. Work. It's a cubicle in a moving vehicle. <laughs> it's not really a toilet, let's they, face it. They don't have space for big ladies' suites with toilets and no. mirrors and lovely hand-washing facilities. No, it, but it's not just that. Um, the Bank of England has encouraged people to use gender pronouns on emails. Yes. And, and also, um, staff have got equality and inclusion targets in their in their personal targets yeah. at work, uh, their professional targets at work. Um, it's providing gender affirmation care through private health care. I mean, I really have a less of an issue with that if people want to pay for it, that's one thing. But it does a little bit concerning because you think you'd like the people ultimately in charge of the purse strings to have some kind of grip on reality. Yes. And I, I have to be honest, I feel a little bit suspicious when I deal with people that have pronouns and it's quite obvious yeah. what sex they are. So this just that alone doesn't really inspire you with much trust. I think working at the Bank of England sounds like hell. Yeah. Having to announce your pronouns, have diversity inclusions in your professional targets and unisex toilets. Yeah, and not calling anybody a father or a mother. Amazing. And also, just do your job, you know. Stop inflation from rising every five bleeding minutes and maybe we'll give you another go. Well, they're too busy thinking about all this other stuff, which is not what we want them to yes, be thinking about exactly. at all. Conflating. Not inflation. Uh, I've been told to hold up your book again. Here it is. Free Aww. Your Mind. Uh, available at all good bookshops. It's available for pre-order at Amazon, all good bookshops out on the 20th. Alison Pearson says, an instant classic. If you like quirky, quirkily brilliant work of Malcolm Gladwell, you'll love this book. I'm buying it for all my friends. Well, there you are. We have got some nice Maybe Alison will buy me one then. <laughs> Maybe I will give you a signed copy That would be week. lovely. How about that? That would be excellent. Yeah. And then we can take a picture. Your mind's you. already free, but... It I, is you know, free. I think you'll enjoy but it anyway. But it's quite expensive it's... if you want to own it. It's not. That's another story. It's not expensive. It's the price of a couple of coffees. <laughs> That's not what they say in this building. Anyway, um, thank you so much for coming in, Laura Dosworth. We haven't seen her often enough lately. Um, I'll be back after this uh, with your calls and many more thoughts to free your mind. This is Talk TV.
Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.